Este episodio se emitió por primera vez en nuestro canal de podcast de líderes en la cadena de suministro en Latam. Esperamos que lo disfrutes y asegúrate de seguir nuestros otros podcasts también para conocer todas las últimas novedades en cadena de suministro. We have a very special connection today. So on one side we have Pilar Madrigal from from Cinde, all the way from New York, really. So Pilar is the director of the investment advisory department for the Costa Rican Investment Promotion Agency, or in short, Cinde. All the way from New York, Pilar, welcome, and thanks for making the time. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. And then we have Xavier, who is the managing director of Elka Global Latin America. He's from live from Costa Rica, where there's been just fairly big storm and we just got the electricity back. So just framing it in, in a way that if there's any other issues, you know, you know, it's not because of Xavier, but you know, when you're in the middle of tornado alley, it can be a little bit tough sometimes. So Xavier, welcome and, and good morning. Thank you. Good, good afternoon. Thank you. So just before we begin, I'll, I'll briefly introduce Pilar a little bit further. So she's part of the Costa Rican Investment Promotion Agency. She's had 22 years with the agency. She's been responsible for developing strategies, activities and programs to promote foreign direct investment into Costa Rica. She's also responsible for defining and optimizing the department functions to have a good execution of activities, including strategic planning, implementation, program development and coordination. And prior to Sinde, she was actually appointed as third secretary to the United Nations. And during that period, Costa Rica held both the presidency of the group of G77 and of the United Nations Security Council. So, Pilar, maybe let's start with you a little bit. Tell us first and foremost, maybe just a few brief words about Sinde as a whole and purpose, and then we take it from there. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. First of all, I have to say that it's an honor being here. This is an opportunity for me to share a number of ideas and pretty much let everybody know a little bit about Costa Rica. But let's start by Cinde. Cinde is a private non-profit organization that was founded 38 years ago. We were declared of public interest. And what we are focused in is we are that executive arm in the country that promotes foreign direct investment into the country. In the, since our founding, as of now, we've attracted about 330 multinationals, particularly in sectors such as life sciences, high tech, and knowledge intensive service. These are all multinational companies that are using Costa Rica as a hub for operations. So our organization focuses not only promoting investment, but we also focus on work with the companies uh, throughout the life of them in Costa Rica to help with their growth plans, with their visions, and making sure that we are we have an enabling environment for them to grow. So that's who we are. It's a pleasure to have been in that organization for 23 years. And uh, that's pretty much what I have to say. Super. And I know that, uh, I mean, a lot of our audiences in the realm of supply chain, manufacturing, logistics, and I am much aware that one of the key directions of Cinde is to affect smart manufacturing, whether it is in life sciences, whether it is in manufacturing at large. I'd like to ask you a little, you know, maybe you can share some thoughts around there. You've seen some trends that have accelerated or decelerated. There's been a lot of wars going on in the world. There's been, uh, uh, let's say, uh, discussions uh, all over that of reshoring, and obviously, you know, you're close to US, you're close to some big markets where it can make them put manufacturing out of Costa Rica. So how do you see that perspective? 
Well, I have to be honest. I think for the very first time, yes, our region has been really taken into, I would say, the eye of companies, but primarily to support the United States and the America's market overall. Now, having said that, this reshoring, nearshoring is something that is not new, right? Companies globally have typically looked for optimizations of their global value chains all over. I think the difference in what we are seeing now is that, of course, COVID made us all be in an inflection point. Everybody is now going back to the drawing board, analyzing who's supplying them, what are the shortages, what are the opportunities, and either finding parallel or mirror uh, facilities in, in different regions or simply coming closer to their markets. Now, in our case, most of our exports go to the United States. It's about 46% of our exports go to the United States. So we've been that nearshore partner uh, to this region for many years. Through our 15 trade agreements, that has been kind of the secret of why the companies have chosen Costa Rica for now, again, to be that hub for manufacturing and exporting to the region. So. What is the trend? The trend is that there's much more of an urgency. There's much more of a strategy planning, but I hardly believe that there are multinationals that have not thought about throughout the last 10 years. I just do know that now it's more of a sense of urgency and making sure that there's no disruptions in uh, supply of products. And uh, maybe I'll chip in a little bit obvious, uh, on this point and also maybe at Costa Rica level, but also at large in, in Latin Xavier, from talent and skills perspective, do you see a certain increase in demand around, I don't know, skilled professionals or executives that can drive some of these activities of, I mean, a supply chain, you can't just move the factory. It's an ecosystem, right? So the human resources needed for that can be quite significant. How do you see this? Bueno, usually Radu in Costa Rica has been a, a good place to find very very high quality of manpower, I mean, of people, of human resources, uh, not as usually as other countries for clothing industries. But basically in Costa Rica, the skill of the people have been developed higher than the neighbors. So usually... Uh, companies have been focusing in Costa Rica for placing the manufacturing operation or shared services operation, uh, something that they can outsource in Costa Rica with a very good quality of human resources. So the key here is to find the right people and bring uh, the right managing directors or managers maybe from the headquarters of the company just to be sure they can apply and they can uh, set all the policies and procedures for, for the different investment that the, usually the companies are doing. No? But uh, this is the, the one point of the differentiation point that Costa Rica has, is that the quality in the human resources people no? and, the, and the expertise and, and the skills. So, that is great. I think that you placing together this with the strategy that Cinda is doing is a synergy, definitely. No? And Pilar, I also wanted to ask from a, you know, obviously from a governmental perspective, I think you're, you know, you also, uh, I assume you have a couple of programs or from an education students, you know, curriculum, collaboration with the companies. Maybe you can share a little bit your thoughts on this point as well. 
Absolutely. To add a little bit about what Javier was saying is if you go around asking the companies why they've chosen Costa Rica, the number one reason is because of the temperature. And, and I think the secret of our success, quite frankly, is I don't know if you're aware, but we have no idea. And so we dedicate 15% of our GDP to health and education. And that, I think, has been the secret of our success. The country really has had a vision that the real, I would say, the real opportunity here is given by talent. The other day, I heard somebody say that talent is the new currency, right? That's exactly what it is. That right now, if you don't have the talent, then you're, it's pretty much very difficult uh, to operate. Now, we do have a number of programs that we've put throughout many years. How have we done that and why are they important? The reason, the way that we do this is we do have that collaboration with all the multinationals that have set up operations in our country. So we work with them every single year. We have a, an amazing team, my team members in my department, they're constantly talking to them, asking them, what do they need? What are their plans? How are they growing? And then all that is translated to our investment climate department that then helps to put all that together, put academia, company, and government, and really try to define what are those needs for talent. So what have we achieved in that sense? There are, you know, it's in three verticals. One is we still have vocational schools. So it is the kids have, the students have the last three years of a specialty. And we have ingrained into this technical high schools. what are the careers of more demands? What are those abilities that they need to have in order to go into the workforce? And so far we have about 40 customized specialties we've put along all those uh, technical high schools. Then we've worked very closely with universities. A good example is the University of Minnesota, for example. Our main export uh, today is medical devices. That's our main export in terms of goods. And it's a highly regulated uh, industry and it needs a very sophisticated type of labor. So the University of Minnesota has a very comprehensive program and they got together with the Tecnologico, with our national technological university, and they were able to then create a master's in medical devices in Costa Rica. So they got together, they were able to adjust curricula, and today we only have, we're the, country, the only country that has that master's in Latin America. And the other thing that we have been doing is there's also a, a very aggressive, what we call an international academic alliance program. And again, we work with the companies, we try to understand what are their needs today, what will the needs be in a year, in two years, and then we partner or we look for international universities to come and either do certification programs, you know, between three or 15 weeks of specific training for a specific type of skill that is needed. And finally, there's a whole national engagement along with the Ministry of Science and Technology and the Ministry of Education, in which there has been a lot of help into developing not only the technical skills, but also the soft skills. We do see that primarily moving forward, definitely a need in technical skills, but there's also a very strong need on soft skills, critical thinking, analytics, you know, a lot of that extra business understanding, global business understanding. So all of that comes together and we revise that every single year. 
Uh, we have working groups working on talent. And that's, I think, how we've been able to work with the companies and make sure that the talent is what they continue to, I would say, embrace in our country. Uh, we're getting this question, and I guess I need to be a little targeted. It's quite specific. Maybe I don't mention exactly the name, but obviously China is the manufacturing center of the world, and there's a lot of manufacturing happening in Southeast Asia, Japan, Korea. So the question comes in a, a way that have you seen specifically manufacturing moved out of China or Asia into uh, Costa Rica, LATAM at large, to, uh, you know, and has that accelerated over the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months? So the reality, and this is, I guess, something very important, I, and I'm sure all of you here are supply chain executives and uh, experts, but the reality is that all the industries are going to be moving at a different pace, right? Not all, it's very different the, how quick the electronic industry supply chain can move versus how quickly the medical device suppliers ecosystem can move. It depends on the pace, it depends on regulations, it depends on volume. So we have seen a lot of interest in that, I would say, in understanding how companies in Asia can continue to be closer to their markets in particular industries, primarily in the electronics, right? That's you know, very important in the electronics and even in some light manufacturing products. So yes, we have seen that. We also have seen the need of American companies to call those suppliers and say, I need you to be close. I want you to be closer. So it depends on the strategy of the client and how really they're redefining the global value chains. But the reality is that, yes, we're seeing movement both not only, you know, this is the audience, we've seen it from Europe. And of course, we've seen a lot of reaction from the United States. And maybe on the topic of United States, and you do sit in New York and, you know, you have a very good firm pulse on the ground, Pilar, maybe share with us a little bit, what are you seeing in general in U.S. headquartered MNCs? What are they thinking about? What are they most worried about? What's keeping them up at night when it comes to their global operations and maybe reshaping or rechanging a little bit the dynamics of that? Yes. Well, the first thing that I want to say is I wish I had that crystal ball to know what they are thinking, right? I think it would it would make my job a lot easier. But what I do know, according to many studies, that at least 90% of the companies are redefining their supply chains. So what is keeping them up at night? I think it is they're reimagining themselves because the reality is that they not only need to reimagine how they're part of the global value chain, but how are their products going to look in, in one, two, or three years? We are in, in the midst of the industry 4.0. Every single product is being redefined. Uh, you know, every solution is a lot more of a client-centric solution. So I think there's a lot in their minds. I think there is definitely the, all the reimagination of them, both from a manufacturing, from a service, from a digitalization point of view. It's a lot. Now, I want to reiterate that I do know that for the first time in maybe about 15 years that I can remember, for the first time... North America is taking a very close look to their neighbors down here in Central and, and South America. It is the very first time that real interest in learning about what we can offer. And mm -hmm. uh, given the maturity of, of what we've been able to supply, we really have received a lot of interest. But there's many things in their mind. There is one duty and there's one responsibility. Look 
at this side of the world for your products. That's the truth. And I can add also, if you let me, Pilar and, and Radu, uh, I think that that, that miss between uh, the manufacturing and the quality of the people that we have here in, in Costa Rica and just adding the know-how that in the industry or the uh, third-part logistics is growing a lot in Costa Rica and all the improvement that the government have been done in all the ports and also thinking in a dry channel between the two oceans. So it's placing Costa Rica as a good opportunity, as a good pool of supply chain, and not only in the logistic part, also mainly in the manufacturing that is a big difference to the other neighbors in, in Central America. This is what, what is the, the difference. So this is a big point of attraction for a multinational to establish the operation here, bring qualified people and for management and also find qualified people here for the operation. No? Yeah, and it's important to, to kind of, I'm sorry, stay on topic. The one word that comes to mind that we constantly hear is resilience, right? Mm -hmm. Where, what country in this, you know, in this region was able to be resilient, was able to react quickly, was able to have very little business disruption. In Costa Rica, we really reacted very well. And within 10 days, we had in the services industry, everybody working from home, thousands of people working from home safely from multinational companies, but also no disruption on manufacturing. All the products that were being shipped, there was really a no business disruption. We, we were very resilient to the impact of the pandemic. And that's key for anybody that is, is looking for a place. You really do need stability, resilience, and being able there to support on, in real time. I think there's there's a few people that are agreeing. I'm just feeling, pulling up uh, Rene, who's a good friend, and yeah, he's uh, sharing your views, uh, Pilar, on the fact that the U.S. is, uh, after a long time, turning their, their eyes back into the right direction, so to speak. I also wanted to shift a little bit the conversation or ask you around the area of sustainability. I know that Costa Rica is leading the way. It's, I was reading that it's it's a significant. It's almost one hundred percent. Like it's incredible uh, the amount of uh, renewable sources. Ninety nine percent of the power in the country is done via renewable sources. So let's let's open up that side of the conversation as well because sustainability. I mean. Ultimately, if we don't do something, you know, we're all in trouble. And I guess a lot of companies, most MNCs have an agenda around strong sustainability. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely, Radu. And thank you for bringing that because I do believe that the Pandemic Act made everybody rethink. It, it's all about well-being. It's all about making sure that we have some sort of good impact uh, to it in the world. And uh, in that sense, we really redefined our, our value proposition because we have ingredients for us that are, are very important. And I'm gonna start by people. We talked about that, planet, and I'm gonna go through that. And then prosperity, which is you know the whole ecosystem of collaboration in between companies, manufacturing and services and sophisticated processes and, and products. But in the sustainability point of view, this has become among the top five drivers of companies Right now, even CEOs, it's their own responsibility. It's actually a part of sometimes their KPIs to show how that company has a positive impact and what is their path to sustainability. In Costa Rica, now that you mentioned 100% uh, renewable energy, I typically say to manufacturing companies, if you want to have an impact in Costa Rica, you just 
plug your operation and you will produce everything with clean energy. And that's something that pretty much almost no, not any other country that, that can do that. So we're extremely committed. We have 6% of the world's biodiversity. We have 52% of our, of our territory covered by forests. And uh, we have a commitment on helping companies achieve you know, that sustainability path. Uh, we have a number of companies that belong to the RE100, and these are multinational companies that are committed to produce everything with renewable sources by, I believe it's 2030. And these are hundreds of companies and we have a group number of them. And it's been just, you plug in and you're producing everything with clean energy. That's a, that's a huge advantage. I mean, we in the work that we do, uh, and, and we actually, incidentally, and maybe, maybe it's a good idea to get you on board, we're going to have a summit on sustainability that's going to run in June. And for a fact, there's numerous companies, especially the ones listed, that have very aggressive goals, uh, usually around 2030, 2035. Yes. You know, 2050 is not aggressive so anymore. So, yes. and, and from, I mean, they measure themselves not Correct. only for their own KPIs, but they measure their 3PL providers. They measure their service providers against the same benchmark. So then it's kind of impacting the overall chain, which has to adapt because the client pushing for it. So I think that is a significant, uh, it's a significant advantage. I have, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm hearing this for the first time. I was not aware of all the data that you have just shared. So that to me is uh, places you in a big, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know any other country that offers the same amount of, uh, you know, the uh, sustainable energy and sustainable systems around. So it's yeah, fabulous. Yeah, certainly not in our area. Um, yes, it's something we're very proud of. We take seriously. And again, it's, it's the contribution that as a country we can give to multinationals. Absolutely. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for them. And I, I wanted also to probe a little bit, and we're drawing this to an end, but I wanted to probe a little bit, Pilar. I know that you were also the number one in 2019. If I read correctly, Cinde was ranked the world's top institution in attracting foreign direct investment by the International Trade Center. So I guess, you know, we might have some, uh, some other people from a government perspective watching this. You know, what's the secret source of success, right? What are some of the key things that you think you've done so well that, that you've managed to achieve this? Well, first of all, foremost, um, clearly, I'm, I'm just representing the organization here. We there's there's a whole team of very committed people that I, I wish we could all be here and put our, our faces because in my life I can only see the commitment that they have for the mission and the value that we're providing to Costa Rica. So absolutely, that's the first thing I have to say. It's it's commitment. They're extremely uh, knowledgeable. Everybody in their own fields in life sciences, in high tech, in well-being, in services, in digital technologies. These are really very uh, experts and they're committed to make Costa Rica be part of this global environment and be part of global value chains. Now, we one of the things that I think makes us get to, to that level of recognition is that we work with the companies in the long term right we really need to we have for many years work them with their long-term vision and you know being the number one investment promotion agency it's only the result of being the right partner to those companies 
from the minute that one company decides to knock on our door to after 20 or 30 years of being in Costa Rica, which is the, you know, the likes of Borns and Baxter, they've been there for decades. Every single year we talk to them. Every single year we plan. And, and that, I think it's that commitment to work with them uh, and that commitment to provide the most accurate, objective perspective on Costa Rica with that level of expertise, I think it's what, what makes us number one. Thank you for that. Javier, any final, uh, I know that you obviously uh, at Elcot we search and we look at different people and I guess maybe you can also have some words of advice for people looking to relocate. I mean, there's a lot of very smart Costa Ricans also working abroad. Uh, there's a lot of talent that might want to come back to Costa Rica, Latin America. Are there any sharing for them? Yeah, no, for sure. Apart from Basically, well, first, when you when you coming to somebody else from outside Costa Rica, everybody starts thinking, oh, greenery, beautiful side views, beaches, and, and everything. But uh, we remind them, okay, we have not only the, the nature of Costa Rica that is beautiful, we have people, we have places for doing investment, and we are doing right to be able to offer to multinational companies the, the side of Costa Rica to place the operation. No? So I think that the, the companies also, not only in America, as Pilar says, I think that Europe, Asia, Middle East, that they are thinking to expand operation worldwide, just crossing the Atlantic, one of the best options to do that is definitely Costa Rica. If we compare with our main competitor, that is Panama, yes, it's a logistic hope, but basically just moving stuff. But uh, I think that we compare that with Costa Rica. We have a plus in quality of manufacturing and logistic point of view, third-party logistics. So we have a whole, I think that Costa Rica has a whole offer to give, no? and especially in people and quality of people, and just uh, having good selection of people and expertise with the right headhunting that know about logistics, that know about supply chain, that will be able to produce and place the expansion in future investment that companies will be doing in Costa Rica. This is what I'm thinking. No? Makes sense. I'll bet I'm hoping that nobody from our clients in uh, Panama listens to this. Are so <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will tell to my friends. Yeah. Don't overdo it. Kicking me in the next hour. No, for sure. That's the reality. So you need to be clear with what you are talking about. Every, every, every country has their, their um, I mean, plus and minus. But I, I think that this is a fair competition. And, uh, and I think that Costa Rica is winning that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, ultimately, competition does make everybody better. I mean, if exactly. otherwise, we just fall into complacency, and and that's um, that's a fact. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you both, Pilar. A great pleasure having you, and and all the sharing that you've done. We want to, you know, both uh, me, Sahabia, and uh, you know, all the team wishes you well, and and good luck in the mission. And they stay healthy and hopefully we all pass this uh, COVID-19 uh, period faster there rather than later and we can go back to some level of normal. So once again, thanks a lot for your time and for joining us. Thank you, Radu. Have a good evening, everybody. Gracias por escuchar nuestro podcast. 
Si te gusta lo que escuchaste, debes ir a la página www.alcoglobal.com y hacer clic en la parte inferior del podcast para ver todos los programas y notas. También te puedes suscribir a la lista de correo para recibir todas las actualizaciones y noticias. Puedes compartir con tus amigos y también seguirnos en LinkedIn. Si estás buscando contratar ejecutivos de alta gerencia para la cadena de suministro en tu negocio, haznoslo saber cómo podemos ayudarte.